Welcome to Art of the Score, the podcast that explores, demystifies and celebrates some of the greatest soundtracks of all time from the world of film, TV and video games. I'm Andrew Pogson and in each episode we'll be joined by Daniel Golding and Nicholas Buck as we check out a soundtrack we love, break down its main themes, explore what makes the score tick and hopefully impart our love of the world of soundtracks. In episode 6, we explore the music from a multi-Academy Award-winning masterpiece, including Best Picture and Best Score. That score? John Barry's Dances with Wolves. Barry's collection of musical themes evoke the splendour of the film's vast prairies, rolling wagons, buffalo hunts, tender romances, fierce battles, and unexpected friendships, not least with the local wolf, Two Socks. And joining me on this journey through the American West is composer, arranger, orchestrator, and conductor. It's Nicholas Buck. How you doing, Nick? Tatanka, big Tatanka. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good. Um, got a lot of history personally with John Barry. Um, he was he was one of the first film composers I fell in love with. So I'm um, really hoping to uh, get stuck into this fabulous score. And that's the correct uh, music. <laughs> and riding shotgun on our wagon train is writer, critic, university lecturer. And beard enthusiast, sure. it's Dan Golding. Yeah, yeah, I'll pay it. Yep, yep. No, I'm really looking forward to this score as well. It's uh, it's a film that sits in a really interesting point uh, musically and, uh, well, in terms of film history as well. Do you like how beautifully I um, have underscored your introduction? The <laughs> ominous introduction and I, now we're, we're, we, we realise yeah. it's just our friend Dan Golding yeah. <laughs> and now we're back into lovely music all, all again. All is revealed to be okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's just me. So yeah, we're, we're going to check out Dancing with Wolves and, and for myself, I was a, a young tacker when I saw this in the cinema and uh, I remember it very clearly that it was so long, but mm. I, I loved it and it had, um, uh, had an, in, uh, an intermission in it, which was not that normal back in no. the day. Um, and that was particularly exciting because I had my chock top um, and my popcorn already finished by the top of the film <laughs> and I got to replenish said stores. Um, and for a kid uh, in 1990, that was pretty exciting. Mm. So uh, I have a lot of fond memories of this. And it's also one of the earliest um, CD albums I bought as a kid you know, of, um, of film music. So this one sort of is near and dear to my heart. Mm. So Dan, what, what can you tell us about uh, Dances with Wolves and, and sort of where it's placed? So it, I mean, I think it's a really interesting film. Uh, so the Western, I would say, is the American film genre. Uh, yeah. More so than any other genre. Um, it's underpinned American cinema from day dot, basically. Um, and it's gone through many, many different periods, um, through golden ages, through classical periods. And then it reached sort of a point of, um, I guess, what people call revision, where people started to question the fundamental myths at the heart of the Western. And you started to get films like The Wild Bunch uh, in the 1960s, which is extremely bloody and gory. We're essentially following, I, I don't even if, know if you can call them anti-heroes. They're, they're villains, really. They're not very nice people. Mm. Uh, and they do a lot of murdering. Um, you know, films like McCabe and Mrs. Miller or Little Big Man, uh, which is uh, starring Dustin Hoffman as a Native American quite controversially today, as you can <laughs> imagine. Um, but, you know, sort of starting to reposition because, of course, in the classical Western, Indians, you know, Native Americans were always uh, the, the other, the, the, the villains, the sort of yep. foreboding, threatening, almost one with the landscape type thing. 
And you get this sort of moment, especially in the 1990s, because the Western went really out of fashion uh, in the 1960s and 1970s, in particular as, as space movies, as we sort of discussed uh, last episode with Star Trek and Star Wars in particular, sort of started to take over that role in the American cultural psyche, I suppose. Mm. The Western really waned. Um, and so you get, in the 1990s, you get films like Unforgiven, which is, you know, Clint Eastwood, uh, you know, Great total, film. yeah, Great fantastic, film. <laughs> fantastic film. But it's a real reconceptualization of what the Western can do, I suppose. Uh, and you get something like Dances with Wolves, which once again is, you know, it's telling the opposite story than we would usually get in a classical Hollywood Western. Usually we would stay with the, 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 the heroes, the white people through the entire film. What we get in this is one white um, uh, military man who spends most of the film once we, you know, depending on which version you're talking about, it's a three hour or the four hour, <laughs> um, spends most of the film uh, living life with as part of a Native American uh, tribe. And that is, you know, uh, I guess <clears throat> certainly today some people sort of question that and sort of I think that the film has a mixed legacy in some respects. Uh, in that uh, people sort of, um, although of course it was trying to reconceptualize the Western, uh, there are still some issues with that and sort of, you know, uh, you know, it's still, still requiring a white character to lead us through essentially non-white issues and a story um, is, is, is a problem that people have highlighted and people call that sort of the, the white saviour, which once again we see sort of repeated in a strange way with um, Avatar. Yeah. But, um, yeah, right. Yep. But basically, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it is an interesting film um, in terms of its um, sort of industrial context. I mean, it was, you know, seemingly largely independently produced um, and, and created and funded in that sort of sense. Kevin Costner was the producer and the star and the director. And put a whole bunch of his own money into it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and wasn't it based on a book written by a friend of his? That's that's what I've uh, read. Yeah, somewhere. Michael Blake. Yeah, okay. that's that's right. Yeah. Um, so it's it's an adaptation, and I guess in a sense as well, this is also another change for um, Hollywood filmmaking at this point in the 1990s, in particular, is you have this huge change over that decade of these sort of prestige films that are adaptations of sort of literary works, um, and and maybe this fits into that tradition as well, especially in the sort of independent sort of um, highbrow filmmaking. Like it, it gives them sort of more credence. Right, <clears throat> absolutely. Based on a book or something. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. So in, in preparation for this episode, I, I watched the film again, which I hadn't watched, I must admit. I'd, I'd listened to the soundtrack many times, but hadn't watched the film since, probably since the cinema, to be honest. And I never picked up on this as a kid, but when you talk about the, uh, you know, a different... Um, take on the Western. There's an awful lot of, I guess, alluding to the fact that the the West is not going to stay pristine for much longer, yep. and that you know modern you know civilizations are encroaching on all of this sort of pristine prairies and mm -hmm. and uh, you know there's that scene right early on in the film when uh, you know they're traveling. Uh, John Dunbar is traveling to the fort, and he's got that you know slob of a man. Timmons, yeah, yeah. Timmons, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and he tosses a, a can onto the side of the. Uh, 
or onto the onto the ground as they're going along on their on their wagons and you know such a sort of overt way of you know this first is where this litter is, bug yeah the first litter bug yeah exactly yep. in in the in the American West so uh, absolutely yeah. well I mean what you're describing is the major thematic preoccupation of the entire genre from about 1955 onwards in that you get all of these films which are about hey this this sort of fantasy that we had of this this mythological uh, American underpinning of the open frontier where people could be free to make themselves free of civilization, free of all these 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 constraints placed on them, um, that ended, that went away. It was officially the frontier was closed um, uh, by a historian, actually, who declared it closed um, at the, the, the Columbia's World Fair in 1893. And basically, these films start to track that. And the Wild Bunch, you know, they have to go to Mexico in order to, to continue to be wild. That's where the film <laughs> is set, right? Because that, that is the future frontier. Yep. And, you know, films like Bonnie and Clyde is all about them sort of being locked down and, I mean, you know, sort of using these same Western tropes and similar with Unforgiven of these people who used to be something all this time ago and now they've that possibility, that freedom, that individual personality has been has been limited. And that is exactly, you're totally right, that is exactly what a film like Dances with Wolves is partly about in that it's the, the, the foreknowledge that we know because we're alive today that the West is no more, that this open landscape uh, has been changed uh, that civilization is there, that law and order is there. And it's about these characters and their journey and sort of our, our role as an audience is to sort of almost see them as, 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 as relics of a past, but also as tragic figures, as people who can no longer exist in today's society. And of course, we've got John Barry's score over the top of this, which won the Academy Award that year. And was that... What what number of Academy Awards was that for John? It was it was was it the last one that he won? I thought he won one for Chaplin, but maybe he didn't. I mean, he definitely won one for was it Out of Africa? He his, won for uh, he won for Born Free. Oh, Born Free, of course. <laughs> uh, he won Best Original Song also for Born Free. He got two for that. Wow, yep, he did. <laughs> he he got um, the double Line in Winter. He, oh, yep, going he got back, Out of yep. Africa. Out of Africa. He yeah. got. Uh, Dances with Wolves. This might have been his last one. That yeah, was, yep. you're correct. He was nominated for Chaplin, but didn't okay, but win. didn't didn't win. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Look, I mean, John Barry almost it almost didn't happen for him. I mean, uh, very early on in production, uh, another composer was actually signed and contracted to score Dances with Wolves, which was a composer by the name of Basil Polidurus. Uh, now, some of you listeners may know him from scores such as Conan. The Barbarian. Oh, I uh, love that score. Robo, oh, so much. Ro- Robocop. <laughs> um, you know, Hunt The Hunt for, for Red yeah. October. Mm-hmm. Um, but really what kind of won him the gig originally was the, the miniseries done in 1989, just a year before Dance with Wolves, which is a TV show called or series called Lonesome Dove. And basically, Basil Polidurus's agent was sending albums of his music to Kevin Costner because he knew this film was coming up. And basically, his music for Lonesome Dove, which you know is a Western, has a actually similar style music to Dance with Wolves, got him a gig. And he was signed. And just before they kind of started work, his pal from his college days, John Milius, who um, was a director mm. of Conan the Barbarian, basically said, look, I've got this film, The Flight of the Intruder, coming up. I really want you to do it. And he was sort of so swayed by his you know, existing relationship of the guy that kind of got his start in the business for him that he turned Dance with Wolves down to go do that and he had to pull out and John Barry came in to replace him. And the sad irony is that Flight of the Intruder got delayed by like six to 12 months. So he actually could have done it <laughs> in the end. Um, 
Anyway, so in comes John Barry and he, I mean, his style, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit, you know, was a perfect match for this expansive, you know, the expansive vistas of the prairies. He'd done films like Out of Africa. And interestingly, his music and his main theme for this called the John Dunbar theme uh, has some shades of the music from Lonesome Dove. Whether that was a conscious decision, I don't know. It could just be a general sign of that sort of romanticism of the prairie. So We could hypothesize that it's, it's very possible that if Kevin Costner had already signed another guy because of Lonesome Dove that they had you know, not necessarily temp music, but... Had an idea. Yeah, had an idea and sort of played it to him and said, look, this is sort of what we were thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Surely that conversation would have happened. Mm. Yep. So, look, let's hear the John Dunbar theme. And um, this is sort of, you know, it's opulent sort of string romanticism at its finest. And we'll hear it go into the theme from Lonesome Dove and then into some music from Legends of the Fall, which is written by James Horner a few years later, but has similar shades of sort of the West and, you know, big vistas, prairies, all that kind of thing. And you'll definitely hear similarities in the musical style. So, I mean, I, I think that's really uh, interesting to see all that comparison. I mean, I think John Barry himself is an interesting composer. I mean, obviously, from the Academy Award nominations that we listed before, has had a long and very, very successful career. He does have a few sort of modes uh, as well um, that he works through and, uh, you know, actually is quite a creative composer, but there are clearly variations on a theme that he works through over the course of a number of different films. And I think the John Dunbar theme that we heard there to begin with um, is actually, I I, I think it's really um, typical of this sort of mythic I think, sort of romantic sort of theme that um, is often strings-based in the melody. It's often a slow sort of expansive melody. It often makes use of French horns as well to sort of push up that. Warm the sound up as well. Exactly. And so, uh, we've already heard the John Dunbar theme there. And... We can compare that, I think, directly with a couple of other films that he's doing at the time. um, Or, you know, sort of similar, similar, uh, similar ideas. Um, and they are, I, I suppose, out of Africa is probably the the immediate one to compare it to. The so classic, <laughs> exactly. Let's uh, let's hear that now.
Uh, and then another one which uh, he, you know, was also very successful was um, Chaplin as well. It's actually, um, I, I, I like that one a lot. It doesn't it's often... Something a bit mysterious exactly. about it. Exactly. Something just a little unsettling. Yeah. Um, Especially for like a comic like Chaplin. There's, there's a <laughs> tinge of sort of... Oh, yeah. Depressed sadness in there. Well, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, I, d- I don't know whether we'll end up doing an episode on Chaplin, so I might as well get my, my point in now. But um, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, uh, you know, Chaplin himself was a composer and wrote, you know, many great pieces of music. Smile. Smile, mm. absolutely. Yep. Um, no, no small feat. Uh, and so I feel like, you know, there's something else sort of going on there that also comes through in Chaplin's own music, this sort of melancholic feel. Um, and and that, that sense of melancholy matches John Dunbar's character so perfectly as well. Mm. It's, you know, I, I liked when you had those other themes on there, Nick, because those other two were a little more optimistic. And uh, the real point of difference between them is that John Dunbar's theme is uh, there's, it's a little more melancholic, but it's also, he's all right. He's, he's relaxed. He's not necessarily out for adventure and he's kind of content with his isolation yeah totally Mm. because you know right at the start of the film he's he pretty much um he doesn't go crazy but he you know tries to commit suicide and um is unsuccessful and is made a hero because of it you know he then isolates himself um and goes out into the you know the the frontier and you know what i like about the theme is that uh, it feels like a a sort of a rusty uh, squeeze box getting going. And I think it's because of those long block chords that happen in the, mm. the lower brass that it just feels like it's breathing, but it never quite gets going. It's like, you know, there's you can hear the music breathe in and out yeah. and mm. it's in no hurry to go anywhere. But there's a real sense of... Like I said, that that sort of real squeeze box, like air in and out, and um, sort of a uh, you know speeding up slightly and then slowing down slightly, and you know it's sort of this push and pull the whole time, which is sort of really really cool. I really like it. And and you know John Barry uh, as a composer comes from a different tradition to a lot of the other composers we've spoken about. I mean, he's English for one thing. Most of the composers we've spoken about so far have been American. Um, he started as a pop musician uh, as well. You know, with the John Barry Seven, John I think. Barry Seven, yeah, 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 yeah. A trumpeter and a in a big band or small band leader. Yeah, sort of thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and you know, um, made his name really, I suppose, with the John James Bond. Uh, films, um, oh, yeah. which mm. are, you know, exceptional achievements that, you know, the fact that he's won these Academy Awards for these other films, which like probably aren't as influential as the James Bond scores <laughs> no. is, 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 no. is a real shame. Mm. But, uh, you know, like he, he deals with different music and different styles of music, but with each version that he sort of works through, I think you can see his pop origins because even with this, I mean, maybe Nick, if you... I mean, the, the chord progression is that mm. sort of, you know... Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? 
th- there it is. It's sort of one six four five. Um, yeah. you can't get any more simple than, than that. I, l- I love your example there. I just <laughs> oh, so, yes. Well, that's that's like the classic. You know, no, yeah. totally. It it's for the two year olds who are listening to our podcast. Yeah, no, that's just such a different way to hear those chords. It's mm. great. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, orchestrationally as well. What the strings are doing, I mean, they're really tracing out the triad. Yeah, I mean, his John Barry classic lower half of the orchestra is sort of the cellos basically outlying the harmony with sort of a one, five, three pattern like this. I mean, you'll, you'll hear it all over this score. You'll hear it in so many of his scores. It's, mm. it's sort of... Yeah, <laughs> it's like that—that's his thing. Um, you can't 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 blame him for for trying because he's always he's always just reusing it over and over and over again. Mm. But mm-hmm. it is effective and it really oh, gives it a certain style. Mm. Um, so yeah, you know we we we're talking about the kind of the the, the sort of breathingness of the string theme. Uh, this theme does come in you know a couple of different guises throughout the film, uh, and the very first time we hear it is on a solo trumpet. Which is, you know, classic. Last week we were talking about uh, Star Trek, you know, and the trumpet being this sort of theme of, of you know, of captains or of exploration, uh, of military, um, you know, and it's something that here he's gone for absolutely once again. You could even argue, you know, trumpet is a very Western, and mm. by Western I mean like the genre, cowboys and Indians, kind of Western. Mm. Mm-hmm. So let's again hear the John Dunbar theme played on trumpets. And then also compare it with some music by Basil Paladuris for Lonesome Dove and again, Legends of the Fall and this whole kind of concept of like an outpost, you know, a lonely trumpet sort of sitting there by itself in the prairies. Um, It's really obviously an iconic thing that he's channeling here. Legends of the Fall. And Lonesome Dove. You know, and I'm sure in all those occasions, um, that solo trumpet really it, it signals that sort of sense of, of sort of loneliness of the West, and it's sort of it's romantic in in some ways as well. The way it's played, it's very beautiful. It's not a kind of harsh military strident trumpet theme, but it's also the I mean, really, what it's it's spelling out is you know melodies or concepts like the last post in Australia, yeah, um, and all of those sorts of ideas in every military, like, like a. Reveille, sort of like a like yeah. calm, calm version of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're always played with a solo trumpet. Uh, we have Anzac Day coming up uh, mm. here in Australia. And it's, you know, there will be the last post played. It's always played by a, a lone soldier, yep. um, a lone trumpeter. And, you know, that's why it works, I think, is yeah. that it's, you know, everyone knows what that is. And certainly in America, American audiences will know they've got their own version of the last post. And, you know, it sort of really sings to that idea of the... There's strength, but there's loneliness. I know there's, there's there's so much in there. There's yeah. dignity, I think. Yeah, there's a good word. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the one. And, and the, I mean, there's another great performance later in the film where it's done on harmonica. And to me, this performance is very similar to the trumpet one, but it's more, it's like sort of, 
it's more removed. It's like John Dunbar, Dunbar sitting by the campfire, sort of just with his own little harmonica. It's it's the lone man. A little more folky. A little more folky, yeah. It's the man, not the military man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and there, I mean, I hear, I hear bits of like Moon River, Henry Mancini. Oh, yeah. well, I hear the gospel song Deep River. More, more than that as well. I mean, this isn't the first time that John Barry has dabbled with uh, harmonica as well. Uh, we, I mean, he used it extensively in uh, Midnight Cowboy. And so, you know, uh, there I think, you know, he's really uh, actively toying with this, you know, the harmonica as being part of this genre of the Western because once again, The Mid- Midnight Cowboy is a film that plays with the iconography and puts this figure of the cowboy in a, in an urban centre in a contemporary context and plays plays with what happens with this, the symbolism of that. Again, I think maybe revisiting some of the ideas that he's worked with. I mean, if you slowed that recording down and you took out the, the bass and drums, mm. it would be very, very similar to John Dunbar thing, yeah. you know. Yeah, definitely. It's great. Um, and look, you know, Barry plays around this theme throughout the film. Um, there's a very interesting use of it where Dunbar isn't on screen, which is where his kind of sidekick near the start, a character called Timmons, uh, basically gets shot by many, many arrows by the Pawnee tribe. And as he's sort of crawling along on his deathbed and sort of lying there with blood spilling out and arrows sticking out of him just before his head is shaved, or scalped, is that the term? Scalped, scalped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shaves more like a, a look people go a, for these a very days. Close <laughs> yeah, that would scalped. be a pleasant uh, experience, yeah. probably. Um, Barry just gives us a little kind of soft, quiet flute performance of the Dunbar theme, but it quickly turns sour, as you'll hear. Something a little, little nice there. Do you think mm. that works with another character? Look, I mean, to me, it's maybe like, well, this is sort of his only friend, if mm. you even call him that, that he, or his only kind of companion that he's got, and he's sort of, that's his last breath. Yeah. So it could be like a sort of, you know, that's the dying sound of friendship or something. Yeah. You know, right. Maybe the John Dunbar theme represents more than just his character. Maybe it represents. I don't know, something, yeah. something grander. I mean, Kevin Costner has that voiceover throughout the whole film, but where when they're on the wagon train out to the post and he says, I'd actually be having the time of my life if it wasn't for my my terrible, you know, that, companion yeah, that, or whatever it that's is. True, so yep, yep. I, I think friendship is, is probably, no, probably a very loose, <laughs> a loose phrase here. Yeah. I mean, um, I, yeah, I suppose though, I mean, if we think about the film as sort of constructed from that character's viewpoint, even yeah, if you see scenes without him, uh, you know, I guess the music is telling us we're experiencing it from his the perspective of his emotions rather than the character who's dying. Yeah. But I mean, uh, the, there's a really sad version of the theme where once... Don Dunbar sort of joined the Sioux tribe um, and they see all these giant field of buffalo that have all been killed and slaughtered right. and left kind of skinned. And there's a really kind of sad 
performance of it on strings with sort of all the chords altered. And you could argue that maybe it's it's him kind of feeling ashamed of of the white man that you know where he's come from because they're they're the people that have come along and and sort of slaughtered all these buffalo. And the buffalo, of course, in a whole bunch of Western films, is this. Um, total symbol of of the end of the West because they you know they were hunted to extinction. Yeah. So so they they I mean yeah in many many films they're invoked as kind of a shorthand for a lot of the ideas we're talking about. Let's let's hear the, this this sad performance. almost sounds like different keys simultaneously to me i, I mean it, it there's some really con- well, yeah i mean i think there's sort of some some kind of spooky extended mm. chords almost like yeah sort of minor minor jazz chords going in there but just the way it's sort of done with that low brass and and, and horns sort of it's a bit spooky the really mm. high strings that really super reverberant flute yeah i mean that's like in another room <laughs> Yeah, totally. It's a reverberant, you know, almost like an echo, a wailing cry in the distance. Um, and it's, it's creating it's really the, sad. it's creating all this extra dissonance as well because yeah. it's sort of this, you know, meandering line over the top that it's, you know, a little bit of chaos, a little bit of sadness, a little bit of tension. It's, yeah. and you're right. Like it is really slow. Like I'm, I'm mm, sort of mm. listening to that, trying to think of conducting it, and oh, it's really, yeah. <laughs> really drawn out. Yeah, I mean that that um, would be it makes tough. It, it makes it sad. Yeah. Um, now, one of the, uh, the, the best performances of this theme, I'll say on album and, and, and clarify what I mean soon, is um, the buffalo hunt sequence where we really get this sort of strident performance of the John Dunbar theme. But I say sort of it's really controversial, but the, the bit that is really famous for most punters out there, um, it's not actually in the film. And uh, reason being... I think they just wanted to channel something that sounded a bit more like the Wild West. So, look, let, let's play um, the Buffalo Hunt, what we'll call the album version, which has a really kind of uh, strident and quite heroic performance of the John Dunbar theme. Have a listen. I mean, the first thing that I think of with that is some of John Barry's earlier work uh, with the Bond series in particular. There's a, a, a secondary theme for Bond rather than the famous one that everybody knows that he uses in his early films that unfortunately for inexplicable reasons the later composers haven't returned to that it has that similar sort of jaunty theme. Uh, so we can hear that now and see the comparison. Is this the 007 theme? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so yeah, called 007 uh, usually. 
Uh, and I mean, like, I love that so much. That that to me is really emblematic of of the great early Bond films. But let's not get too deeply into that. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, that that similar sort of you know jaunty dun 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 sort of you know off the beats. Yeah, there's that that it's the snare drum. Yeah. Mm. yeah, 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 and it's uh, you know it feels like horses. Yeah, you know because uh, you know all of the previous themes, like I you know was saying before, is you know that sort of squeeze box. You know, breathing. Whereas this has this has rhythm, this has a gallop to it, and it achieves that by you know placing that second. Um, so I'm talking about the rhythm that goes to but uh, but uh, uh, or whatever it is. Yeah. It's something like I love that, how you it? make it like super uh, jazzy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. But but placing that that um, you know that second one on off the beat pushes everything forward and by having that repeated you know ostinato uh, rhythm in accompaniment means that yeah just everything's got movement now and you know they're on horses yeah and absolutely. and galloping around and and it's a bit of a you know it's a triumphant moment um he's he's really being accepted by the tribe at this point uh you have the the trumpet again you know playing the melody but it's not the lonely trumpet anymore it's more of a victory trumpet and the strings which were playing a lot of the melody before are sort of playing the counter melodies now so he's moved away from his um his loneliness and that sort of real pensive uh you know theme and moved much more into the sort of the the guy with purpose and with, you know, um, uh, optimism. I love how they've all got bow and arrows and he's got like the shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, interestingly, in, in the final film, that kind of trumpet performance wasn't used. And instead, the for whatever reason, they opted for something that sounds a bit more old school Wild West, more something that channels composers like Elmer Bernstein and um, who did the big country again? Jerome. Jerome Morris. Morris yeah. yeah. Just yeah. Do, do you have that? that? I, I do. Shall I? Uh, yeah. Let, let's play big country and then I'll right. play the the film version of the Buffalo Hunt from Dance right. with Wolves just to compare. So I mean, this is I think the definitive theme of this style of, of the western. western. Yeah. 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 And just for context, for those of you who haven't seen The Big Country, what's happening in the background of this is the opening sequence, um, beautifully designed by Saul Bass, who did uh, Vertigo and Psycho. Mm. It's a, it's a, you know, starts with a spinning wagon wheel, uh, and you know we're just witnessing a wagon tearing its way across an open western landscape. It's, it's beautifully iconic. God, it's so American, isn't it? Isn't it? It's yeah. like yeah. as American as American mm. gets, mm-hmm. and especially like those last two chords, you know. So far, so good. Yeah, there it is. I mean, you hear it all in Magnificent Seven and stuff. It's really there. uh, Anyway, so with that in mind, here's the Buffalo Hunt from Dance with Wolves, uh, the version we get in the film. And have a listen sort of after the opening horn bit. You'll you'll hear it change mood and really becomes uh, the Wild West. (laughs) 
I mean, I guess the thing that's so surprising about that is, I mean, you would think that that kind of musical landscape that I played, that we played before, the big country, is totally antithetical to the kind of yeah, yeah, I know musical landscape that we get in Dances with Wolves and the, the themes of the movie. I mean, the big country, as I said, it opens with freedom. You know, this yeah. is what the music, this is what the images, the whole film is telling us. The big country, it's called mm. the big country, yeah. and yet Dances with Wolves is, uh, you know, this tale of of how that came to an end and how maybe the myth was never true ever to begin with or, yeah. or was established on terrible things. And it robs everybody, including John Dunbar, of his heroic theme. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, we That's never, the only we, kind of heroic performance we get of yeah, it. We only we get it on album yeah. or in elevators or department stores <laughs> in the 90s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> oh, so disappointing. So mm. disappointing. Uh, look, let's let's move on to um, to some of the other themes that Barry has composed for this film, and uh, one of them is the love theme for uh, Kevin Costner's relationship with uh, Mary McDonald, or as she's called in the film, Dan stands with uh, a fist. Stands with a fist. Stands, yeah. with, stands a fist, with a yes. fist. I love I love these names. <laughs> so this is obviously a theme that emerges, you know, later on in the film. Again, has has a sort of some hallmark Barry touches, but is you know is unmistakably its own in comparison to the Dunbar theme. So let's have a listen. Mm. It's that breathing again. Yeah, yeah. And I was I was trying to work out why is it achieving that, you know? And it's it's really because there's movement, then no movement. It's just bom bom dum, bom dum dum. Yeah, I mean the strings they're, they're playing footballs. Dun, you know? dun, dun. Uh, non-musical people may may not know what footballs are. Footballs is what we refer to basically whole notes, where you basically just play one whole note per bar of music and uh, string players generally find them extremely boring. <laughs> um, but for John Barry, um, he's made a career out of it. <laughs> and uh, look, yeah, they're, they're basically holding a chord whilst really the only motion is the melody and yeah, that low end sort of cello harp yeah. doubling that, that we get there. And it just mm. feels like it's just breathing in and out. I mean, the next time you listen to it, it's I just feel breath in, breath yeah. out, you know, and mm. it's just calm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting if you think of Barry as his, you know, background in, in pop music. I mean, that it actually, that kind of writing, unless it was before, like in the lead up to something or the build up to a melody coming in or a singer coming in, actually, I mean, most most pop writers would, would say that you, you wouldn't leave such space, right? With the da-da-da and then it's just like, 
holds that da 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 da. Usually there would be something in that gap, right, yeah. to sort of keep interest and add text to it. But mm. John Barry doesn't do that. Yeah. Well, not, not he does sometimes. But Sorry. Yeah. 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 But especially certainly in this case, mm. yeah, he's he's yeah, not. He's holding and that. he's letting yeah, it. Yeah. And that's where yeah. that mm. that that um almost breathing that silence mm. that mm. you're talking about. And those from. I just noticed, and then those two chords at the end that sort of um. It kind of reminds us of our first yeah, episode we where we discussed the, um, <laughs> yep, yep. You know, the Princess Leia's theme. Mm. You know, it's that sort of major chord to the minor chord of the fourth mm. interval. Um, so maybe maybe it's just that language of romance coming back. Yep. And it actually reminds me of, of his theme from Moonraker. I don't know if you know this sort of the opening. Uh, Yeah, minor thing All there. his Bond themes are fantastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the other beautiful theme, actually one that I, it's probably one of my favourites from the film, is the theme for Two Socks, that adorable little wolf mm. and maybe his only true friend. Yeah, um, I, I would agree to that. Before he joins the, the, the Sioux tribe. And yeah, the wolf kind of gets his own theme. Only a couple of times we hear it and it's, it's, it's an interesting theme because it's sort of, it's tinged with this great sadness, um, again, because of the harmonies he's using. Um, it's sort of delicate, light, innocent, but there's a sense of sadness there, like they can never quite be friends or something like that. But they're sort of the vibe that I get from it. But um, let's have a listen and then we can, we can put our own thoughts on it. chords again ah uh, yes <laughs> so what's happening in the second half there because I follow it the first half and then does it like modulate or something yeah, it goes it all over has the this, shop I mean it's quite static in the first half you know you know it's sort of A major to D major and then goes to the fifth and it's here uh, when it basically goes to like the minor I think it's those two minor chords, you know, after A major, D major, it's quite positive. Yep. And then... Yeah. And so suddenly two minor chords, it's like, oh, actually, it's not as pretty and as innocent as it may, you know, first seemed. And it's a really unexpected turn because yep. it starts out so simply and you're like, oh, I know where this oh, is it's going. it's a cute dog. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. How lovely. And then I think like you, you know, I didn't think about it that way, but like you pointed out, it's, you know, they... They can never really have the bond. Because no. um, the, the wolf always runs off, doesn't yeah. it, at the end of every yeah, kind yeah, of scene. Yeah, exactly. And I think those chords are the wolf never quite connecting. Trusting him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah interesting. That's a beautiful little little yeah. moment. And it, we've got to talk about, you know, Barry, he, he just loves the flute. I mean, I can't yep. think of any themes where 
he used the clarinet or the bassoon in mm. a sort of romantic way like that. <laughs> Even the oboe doesn't get a, a huge look in. He really loves the flute. And Andrew, before we we're talking about uh, some of his music just a couple of years earlier, to A View to a Kill, uh, another Bond film. But yeah, has, has a, a beautiful melody, again, just completely carried by, by the flute. And here it is, A uh, View to a Kill. Um, and I believe this cue is Wine with Stacy. Yeah, good old Stacy. Why not? course the other link is that uh uh you know this is the 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 wolf theme and you know who did the 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 theme tune for uh view to a kill but duran duran who are also hungry like the wolf wow (laughs) i'm sorry i just i had to break up our amazing uh in-depth thoughtful discussion with one of the worst jokes i've ever made and i love that you delivered it like you were about to get hit. I'm sitting yeah. next to Dan here and he, he sort of was leaning back yeah. like I was going to strike him. Oh, I'm really <laughs> no, I'm, I'm up for that, man. You keep, uh-huh. you keep cracking yeah. those. Don't you stop. <laughs> um, now, the I mean, for a film that has a lot of Native American Indians in it, there's something Barry doesn't really do is give them, I guess, anything remotely, what should we say for want of a better word, ethnic. There is a kind of melody for the Sioux tribe. They're the good guys, by the way, in, in this film, <laughs> um, which really only comes in towards the end. But it's, it's basically like a bold, heroic theme in sort of low, low, powerful French horns. And the only thing that maybe gives it a slight tinge of ethnicity is some of the percussion that Barry uses. So I'll, I'll play the theme. It sort of, we hear it twice in different cues and I'll play them back to back, one with percussion, one without. And we'll just sort of see how that addition of percussion adds, adds to everything. without percussion. What do you guys think? Well, without percussion, I mean, is that... Are they toms or are they talking drums or something? Yeah, or, or maybe like some bongos and congos yeah. hit with sticks. Yeah, so it's so probably a real not, mix of but They did, did, did seem to be changing pitch slightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think... I mean, the percussion, which adds that 
overtone, that flavor, I suppose, that that has been deployed so poorly by so many composers. But I think, um, uh, I don't know, I mean, they're, they're not, I mean, if they were talking drums, um, which is something that is sometimes specifically associated with um, American, uh, Native Americans, then maybe yeah. that would be a little bit more uh, disappointingly overt, considering that the, the theme by itself, I mean, there's no real reason why you need to, considering the whole film is him spending the time in this tribe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like, there's no real reason why it has to be out of keeping with the tone of the rest of the film. I, no. did, I did hear in that in that Buffalo Hunt, the one that made it into the film, that we were sort of saying wasn't as successful. And actually, you might even be able to cue it up for me quickly, uh, Nick. It's right after the sort of, I guess, the, the resolution, you actually get a, a Native American Indian almost Hollywood-esque little theme that comes in there. Um, Is it this? Yeah, there's a bit of... That feels da, like da, da, far da, da, more, yeah. Da, 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 da. It's got that sort of you know pentatonic sort yeah, of yeah, yeah, vibe yeah, no, to it. I can, and, I can definitely see that. You know, it maybe, feels maybe, yeah. like old Hollywood um, versions of you know the Indians are coming, cowboys and Indians. You know, yeah. um, and it's got the you know percussion in there again, yeah. and uh, yeah. So it's funny maybe. that you know when they when they present or when they when John Barry presents uh, the Sioux. Uh, really, their theme is very similar to John Dunbar's in yes. terms of its westernness. You know. Yeah, mm. I, I agree, and I mean, I think that uh, you know, I mean, that comparison that you're making is something that uh, westerns have done throughout. I mean, just while you mentioned that, I immediately thought of the Searchers, which does that quite, you know, in in a very traditional sort of sense. Sense. <laughs> I mean that that this right this kind of this is a bit the kind of tribal super cliched um, and look uh, oh, 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 exactly oh, oh, yeah yeah dun, 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 like yeah. the 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 searches is uh, almost the film that kicked off this revisionist thing and it's the film that every single film school generation director keeps you know compulsively referencing <laughs> because it's so significant to Hollywood film history but the score it's got a great theme it's got a great song but um, the score is Max Steiner I think in the point of his career where he's um, falling on cliches harder than you know and he, <laughs> he, he fell on cliches a lot through his career anyway you know the Casablanca you know when the French turn up it's da -dun -da -dun 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 -dun, <laughs> right and so um, that I mean I, that's the kind of music that I think I wouldn't like to see in this score and I'm yeah. glad that for the most part for the most part doesn't, doesn't succumb to that yeah. yeah do you also think it's because the Sioux because they are they spend so much time with the with the, the white hero do you think it's because in the eyes of the audience they almost become the Western good guys. Yeah, because like, they save our Western bloke in the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, maybe. maybe. Well, th this is the criticism, I suppose, of the film and that, that sort of the long-held debate about whether this film and others like it fall into that sort of white saviour or, or what's also some people describe as the noble savage where it, it's equally, you know, I suppose if you understand racism as to be simplifying a people in a negative sense, noble savage is the idea that you simplify someone in a positive sense. So you equally write off who they actually are mm. to, to say, oh, aren't they simple? Aren't they simple and, you know, they were in a better time. They're, they're better off being so simple. You know, that sort of like quite, which you still see that kind of um, really abhorrent attitude today. I suppose that's also another criticism that the film has faced and maybe that sort of plays into it. 
Maybe, and, yeah. And, of course, we move to another uh, native tribe, the other native tribe that is in this film, the, and definitely the bad guys uh, throughout all of it, and that's the uh, Pawnee tribe. Pawnee tribe, yeah. And, look, they, they probably get the most unique music of, of, of or the, the, the music that is more of a departure from anything else. It's sort of a theme, but it's, it's a kind of angular, dissonant theme in sort of high flute and strings. And this is a bit where Timmons dies towards the start of the film. Uh, so let's first hear this. Did I hear some like a flutter tongue trumpet in there? Yeah, flutter tongue. Yeah, fl- flutter tongue trumpet. Yeah, sort of just just punctuating the flute there. I never never noticed that before, but I did then. Mm. Yeah, and I I wonder whether it's uh, we were talking about the lone trumpets. Here we have the flute. So we're actually taking two versions or two ideas from those previous themes. You've got the really uh, beautiful sort of flute melody uh, that's really delicate, and then you've got the sort of the the um, heroic trumpet. And you've got actually the flute starts the melody yeah. and then the trumpet finishes it each yeah. time. And it's taking those two sort of sound worlds that we've heard before and then, and mm. then um, chucking them together. And the only reason why it sounds like there's all this dissonance, all of this um, tension, because there's no harmony in there. It's just sort of single line instruments. It's because there is a, a low drone note um, pedal uh, played throughout the whole thing. And all of those notes are clashing with it. Uh, so it's not clashing within sort of inherent itself. chords, uh, but it's presenting a or whatever note it is, and then these things sort of clashing over the top, and mm. uh, yeah, it's sort of yeah, really angular too for this one because John Barry writes such beautifully sort of um, contoured melodies, but this is very angular and mm. and and uh, sinister and you know nasty. Mm. Yeah. It's like that classic sort of uh, film nerds problem of you know what key is this in? Is it in the key of the <laughs> pedal or is it in the key of all the dissonant stuff yeah, up the top sure. I mean yeah. the, he does that that similar sort of stuff in a lot of the Bond scores as well I mean we're not going to go I, I resist the urge to continue bringing everything <laughs> back to his Bond scores but um, yeah that also reminds me of that too well look let's let's hear some of the the pointy music does develop and uh, there's a great cue where um, the character stands with a fist remembers um, I think it's her parents being killed as a little girl because don't forget she's she's a white girl mm. who's been basically assimilated into the tribe um, and we have this dream sequence where her father basically and family is all murdered by this this pawnee attack. Another kind of really interesting cue because it starts off with this kind of dreamy, almost synth choir children's la, 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 mm. la. Almost like something you'd get in one of those horror films mm. where they have like, you know, mm. the, the mm. cute little child's music that then kind of turns horror. Mm. Yep. Um, but this time we get that same pawnee attack music with some percussion and it's 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 much more violent this time.
I wonder whether the, you know, why this works uh, in terms of the, you know, that pedal note is really the way they presented in this film. They are one-dimensional. They're just bad guys and all they're doing is killing people. Like, I don't think anything else happens. Maybe at the end they join up with the the other soldiers who are also bad guys. Um <laughs> And, you know, they help the soldiers, uh, but they're always up to no good. And I think that that drone note, that little, yeah, mm. it just doesn't stop. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think that really represents, you know, their single-mindedness in, in what they're trying to achieve. And I, you know. I hear the, that kind of really flamboyant, but sort of out-of-control percussion. It's almost like just the flailing of knives and arrows, and it's it's the sort of that unbridled violence yeah. that mm. they kind of invoke. It's it's not measured. It's not a not a rhythm. It's almost like Barry saying to the percussion, uh, "Just watch watch the screen and just go nuts." You know, yeah. react to whatever you're seeing. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels quite sort of improvised. And I mean, I suppose to to cement the link that I, I guess I've been making all podcast by now. I'm 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 sorry to to bang on the same point the whole time but cement away Dan. yes i mean the i mean the, this 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 character in this flashback sequence is the key link really in in linking a film like dances with wolves with the revisionist westerns that have come before it and particularly as i said before the searches is the one that kicked it off because that is about john wayne uh and the his nephew character in that film trying to find his uh niece who's being kidnapped by native americans um, and is being raised as a Native American, exactly as this character Ooh. is in this film. So it's almost like this film is taking that story from an, another perspective. Yeah, right. Um, in a quite direct sense. So she's not in danger from the the savages. In fact, yeah. she's growing up in a really happy, healthy environment. Well, yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, like the the Searchers deals with this in a in a very complex way. And John Ford, who directed the Searchers, was a complex guy who was really i think in this in that film in particular trying to come to terms with the the racism that underpinned a lot of his earlier westerns um and trying to sort of deal with that and 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 figure it out in in a not that articulate way and so maybe this is this scene and the music here and what's going on there is is articulating a different response to that and it's that untuned drums nick isn't it that really Mm. sort of points out the you know, we're dealing with tribes. You know, yep. we're dealing with savage people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And look, there is a, a slightly more, God, if I dare I say it, masculine or even more um, orchestral performance of this theme. Because so far it's been on flutes and high strings. It's strings, quite yeah. high and angular. We do get a much lower powerful horn version, which I'll play, I'll play for you now. <laughs> Interestingly, the the lower bass moves down a step for a mm. sort of you know a couple of bars and then back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this sort of this is almost like the aftermath of sort of dead bodies. I always think of the uh, the French horns as always representing arrogance. You know, especially when they're played that way, yeah. it's like a real sort of you know. Yeah, it's just arrogance, you know. I yeah. and it, it, you see lots of films where that's the case. Yeah. You know, often the arrogant hero will have horns come in as opposed to trumpets. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. And speaking of the percussion, a couple of years earlier in the Living Daylights, there's a bit where Bond goes to kind of do deals with the Mujahideen, which is pretty much like the Taliban. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, exactly what they are. Mm. And um, kind of he uses similar percussion. Just have a listen. It's sort of like the his token way of 
inflicting a bit of ethnicity into the into the cue. Sort of a similar drone, yeah. you know, that yep. low kind of ostinato, boom, boom. Yeah. But I mean, the drums here, they feel a bit more yeah. Arabic Central. or something. Yeah, or sort yeah. of, you know, they're sort of a bit higher tuned. And but don't you, don't you think it's really important that they're presented out of tempo? Yeah. Absolutely, like, yeah. if they were presented in time. Then it's not a groove. Yeah, well, you know, if, even if it was sort of march-like, it, it, it would feel organised. Mm. Whereas this... You know, this sort of stuff feels like they're unorganized, which I think helps build the idea of the savage, you know, the yeah. the other, because they're not that organized. They're yeah. not that cultured. And yeah. um, The yeah. Star so Trek Federation, they'd be organized. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> they'd have a, you know, a yeah. snare that's in time. Yeah, but these yeah. guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I suppose in a way, if you want to sort of have a, a negative reading of, of his use of this, which I suppose in, in some ways we, we kind of have to, but I mean, it's... <laughs> It's almost like it's his special source, right? It's like his sort of. <laughs> I mean, it's his. It's, it's his gesture towards. Yeah, because take away those drums, and yeah. it's just. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, deep yeah. dramatic music. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And know? it's. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Could, 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 yeah, probably not my favorite Barry technique. <laughs> um, uh, let's move on, Nick. Yeah, um, look- and on to my favorite of the cues. That's my favorite too. I could. Dan, is it your favorite? Uh yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. It's it, it's very good. It is good. It is excellent. Uh, no, this is this is great. Um, and uh, Nick, what is it? What are we listening to? So this is the music where basically John Dunbar leaves Fort Cedric. Cedric. Well, maybe he's yep. going towards Fort Cedric. I forget which one's which. He's he basically leaving- he's taking off from his post to yep. his sort of remote outpost. Yeah. With Timmons on the wagon, it's really got a sense of. My adventure is beginning. You know, mm. this, this, there's a positive outlook on this. And um, there's just a really great kind of Barry kind of motif with the horns and the strings. It's really kind of, it's good fun. kind of fascinating as with the other themes that we've discussed mostly i mean it doesn't matter what sections of the orchestra are doing this but but it's doing the same thing where there's a melody and there's sort of almost like this modular section down below where it's chords yeah and they're just sitting on that chord yeah Yeah. and then yeah yeah uh, and I mean, there's a little bit going on with timpani as well to sort of make the, the, the chords a little bit interesting sometimes. And what I noticed there is that it's a very common Barry technique to basically mm. repeat phrases and have them kind of yep. in little couplets, you know. Um. 
again. He always sort of will do them twice. It's mm. really kind of common thing. Maybe it's just his. Basically, he has to write half a score, then double it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Repeating every phrase. I don't know. Yeah, but, um, yeah look, that, that's Efficient. just. It's a nice moment. It's, it's something a little different. It's got a bit more pace than some of the other slow, drawn out themes. Mm. You know, do you agree, well, it, Andrew? It's the, it's the first time that, that, you know, Kevin Costner gets away from the life that he wants to leave. Yeah. And there is the optimism in there. Yeah. And it's, you know, they're, they're on the wagon. The wheels are moving. You know, that breathing that we were getting before has now sped up. It's still there. It's yeah. still sort of like a, um, a movement and then pause and a movement and pause. But everything has been sped up. And it now still feels like breathing, but it feels like bre- breathing with energy. Yeah, and, um, and it's got those wide vista shots of you yeah, know the yeah. wagon on the on the horizon, traveling yeah, yeah. in the sunset, whatever. There's actually really lovely moments. Um, this you know in in this, and it's really early on in the film actually, and it feels like this is where the film starts. And when I before yeah. I had rewatched it, uh, you know, uh, recently, I only remember from here. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> all of it. What's all the stuff at the start? Yeah, yeah, in the yeah. Civil War. Yeah, yeah it, it sort of doesn't matter. In, 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 well, it sort of does, but really, you could have actually started the yeah. film there, sort of. This and, is his uh, you know. indie hopping in the plane and yeah, yeah <laughs> sailing totally off is. the Cambridge moment. Totally or is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, look, there's just a couple of other little motifs in the film which I want to play, and um, one I guess we'll call it the buffalo motif. It's sort of a again a, a noble horn kind of idea. Which is um, presented, you know, um, as they're sort of on the on the search for the the buffalo, which really is, I guess, the key to life in in this kind of society, isn't mm. it? I mean, that's, that's yeah, the yeah. provides them warmth with the the skins, the skins and, and yep. food and all kinds of things. Absolutely. phrase I can I only imagine buffaloes like hearing this and thinking of buffalo I can only imagine one looking heroic as a statue you know, it's sort of like with the light gleaming on it. It's like the most marvelous, mm, you yeah. know, noble creature. It's certainly presented just only going up the whole time, and you know those sort of classic intervals um, as it moves upwards, and it just keeps going there. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so really, when we've you know spoken about in all these other episodes, is the heroes always having those sort of perfect fourth and um, you know sort of leaps and. Um, moving upwards, and this is the ultimate of that. Really, yeah. it's uh, presenting it as the, you know, it's perfect. You know, yeah. there is no down. There is mm. no down in that melody. It's yeah. only going up. Mm. It's um, complete admiration for the species. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. And that's why I was imagining it as a statue. Like we've we've bronzed it. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. to but keep it, it for all time. Again, yeah. there's that Barry orchestration of the body, the bottom. Yep. You know, the the all the horns in unison, quite quite low. It's sort of it's a noble sort of heroism there. Mm. Um, and you know, it's something you hear in all these films, um, even when it's sort of a, a more um, I mean, there's a bit in the living daylights again I'm going to bring it up when they're sort of you know searching for opium with the Taliban dudes and there's this sort of sense of travelling over wide vistas and I'll play a bit because it, it has has similar 
orchestrational bits, especially in, in the horns and the low strings. You know, that, that could totally be a, a scene out of Dancing with Wolves, yeah, you know, yeah. walking along or mm. sort of But at the, same, at the same time, I mean, that's a really Bond sound and I'm sure we'll come back to that yeah. in the future. But that, that sort of romance, I mean, it, that's, that, that's to me, that's one of the really interesting things about Barry is that his sound is really consistent in yeah. many ways. And I'm sure if I said to you, Nick, write me a piece of John Barry-esque music, you could do it really easily. Yeah. And to some extent, David Arnold... The, I was about to say, David Arnold channeled a lot of that. Absolutely. One of the reasons in, his in Bond it, scores, I think, yeah, were so successful. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and yet, and yet, that kind of music, when you put them side by side, they sound very similar. And yet, you can also separate them out and go, well, actually, this makes total sense in the context of Dances with Bulls. And it, I don't think of... Bond when I'm watching Dances with Wolves but when I'm watching Bond and I hear that kind of thing I don't think of Dances with Wolves either I think yeah. of the whole history of the whole I'm getting so excited I'm knocking everything Dan's over Dan's knocking over music yeah, stands yeah yeah <laughs> uh, I, I think of the whole history of uh, of Bond music and that's a real Bond sound um, it, it's it's one of his most intriguing facets as a composer I think I'm going to make a, um, a tall claim here I'm going to propose that those broken chords in those harmony, you know, those harmony blocks that we've been talking yeah. about the whole time has been breathing and so on. I actually feel that it is the, it's the prairie, it's the plains themselves. That is the representation of what they are. And, and maybe that breath that I'm hearing is the breath, like there's a, a scene really early on where he's touching wheat. Well, it's mm. not wheat, it's gr- tall gl- grass and uh, a wind mm. flows through all of the grass and that those, you know, they give a life to the the land that they're walking around, and I wonder whether that breathing that we're hearing is actually the land breathing. But the whole time I was thinking it's John Dunbar breathing and moving forward, but it could actually be, mm. you know, the 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 because the whole film has space. It has space in yeah. time because it's so mm-hmm. damn long. Yeah, it has space in the vistas. It has space in the music. You know, so. So yeah. I'm make, I'm making that claim that the strings uh, over the yeah. top is John Dunbar, but down the bottom it's <laughs> sure. all the that's yep. the plains no, and the prairie. I'll, and I'll pay that. Yeah, thank you, Dan. I'll yep. give you cash later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just as we sort of get close to wrapping up, um, there's a cue in the film that isn't written by John Barry. What? Um, yeah, I know. And it's a piece of music called the Fire Dance, and it's basically where Kevin Costner is dancing with joy and uh, channeling his inner. Sue um, around the fire and does he get busted by someone or do we just see him dancing by himself I can't remember I actually can't remember either anyway, I feel but like he needs to have got anyway the, the music is written by a fellow called Peter Buffett um, who believe it or not is Warren Buffett's son as oh, in like the, wow. the gazillionaire <laughs> so um, maybe he paid off the producers hey I'll let my son do this score um, look it's not the greatest piece but something interesting just to have a quick listen to That's really different, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm in a 
club in 1991 and it's some sort of tribal dance remix. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm playing yeah. Age of Empires. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, there's, that, that is quite different. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So. And um, perhaps given it's him dancing by himself, maybe that's in his mind mm. how, you know, in John Dunbar's mind, that's Indian music, you know, because he's dancing <laughs> and that's the soundtrack going on in yeah. his head. And it's yeah. got a sort of tribal chants and woo! Yeah, mm. you know some vocalizations so there, and that's super. Yeah, 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 I thought it was a didgeridoo, but throat singing, throat singing. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Anyway, um, yeah. So look, as far as all the all the great cues, that's that's sort of it for Dance with Wolves. Um, you know, there's a very consistent sound through there. You know, there's a, there's a little kind of passage in the the main titles. I just want to kind of touch on at the very end with again some similar chord progressions to uh, the Living Daylights, which is yeah this whole kind of suicide section. Contrast that with the living daylights. Sort of pounding timpani. So, you know, Barry, I mean, look, he's a... He's a simple composer, but I think to sum him up just like that is doing him a great disservice. And I know a lot of people have some issues with this score because of its simplicity, but I mean, there's no way you can watch it and argue that it's the wrong fit. I mean, it's absolutely perfect for this film. So, I think it's ridiculously successful. Mm. I think the only way this film gets away with its epic scope and its epic time length of film is because of this score that goes over the top. I, I remember it yeah. once again, like, you know, I said at the top of the show, as a kid, I just sat there just, you know, soaking in the music and Absolutely. the visuals. Mm. And it had that music not been there, I mean, no, I would have been very bored <laughs> as a young kid. You know? Exactly, I agree. And look, I think, you know, probably one of the, 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 the issues with our approach of looking at, at the specific scores is we tend to look at points of similarity in a composer's body of work rather than points of difference. And I mean, if you look at John Barry's other work, I mean, things like the Ipcress file, massively different to a lot of this, a lot of this. Um, and you know that's a that's a great score. Um, and but you know equally as well. Um, I mean even things like uh, Line in Winter, Body Heat. You know different yeah. again. And you know you can't overlook his powers as a songwriter, not just a, a score composer. I mean you know the sheer amount of hits yeah. that have come from his work. I mean nothing here sounds like Goldfinger. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. Ex- exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, world away. You know? And and you know like the, that's the thing when we've been playing the excerpts of the, the Bond themes. I mean you know a lot of those that where you can hear the the main Bond theme like just then we heard Aha's um, the Living Daylights melody and yeah. dispersed through that. I mean he co-wrote that with them. Yeah, same with Duran Duran, Vito e- Kill. E- exactly. Stuff. Yeah, and I mean you know these are really impressive achievements. They're not just your average film tie-in song. <laughs> um, so, I, I, I think, yeah, I agree that um, there's a lot to John Barry. There really is. And I think when, when you talk about those, you know, that out of Africa, that sort of vibe, that, you know, those series of films, mm. this is the most successful marriage of that John Barry style with this sort of film. I mean, it's like the two were made for each other, really. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Definitely. Right, and uh, that brings us to the end of our analysis of Dances with Wolves. We hope you enjoyed yourself. And if you did, go ahead and press subscribe and write us a review on iTunes. Um, it'll help us get the word out there. And if you have any questions about the scores, you want to uh, you know, wax lyrical about Dances with Wolves and how much you love John Barry, or perhaps, given how much we spoke about James Bond, maybe you'd like to hear Bond. Uh, get on Twitter and um, uh, hit us up. It's at Art of the Score or Instagram, also at Art of the Score. So, until next time, I'm Andrew Pogson. That's Dan Golding. Pleasure as always. And he's Nicholas Buck. I certainly am. <laughs> and this was Art of the Score. <laughs>